Hello and welcome back to the Outside and Active podcast, where this week we get to share the top five moments when serial adventurer, traveler, endurance challenger and montane athlete Jenny Tuff has felt most alive on her adventures. Before we dive into the episode, in just over 10 days time, we'll be at the National Running Show recording more conversations with inspiring guests at the NEC in Birmingham and we've got a free ticket offer for you. Personally, I love the National Running Show because it really doesn't matter if you're undertaking your first couch to 5K or you're a seasoned ultra runner. The show is packed with inspiring speakers, the latest kit and technology, expert coaches. You can even fill up your diary with races for the year ahead and try out a host of tasty nutrition. If you'd like to go for free, use the code OUTSIDE at the checkout on nationalrunningshow.com forward slash Birmingham. Now, back to our conversation with Jenny Tuff, sharing her top five moments when she's felt the most alive on her adventures. So hello and welcome to Outside and Active. I'm your host, Matt Coyne, and today I'm joined by Adventure Traveller. Is that the right way to describe you, Jenny? I think. Sure, I don't uh, even know, so whatever okay. you want. Fine, okay, we'll say Adventure Traveller, um, as well as a montane athlete, Jenny Tuff. Hello, Jenny. Hey, thanks for having me. That's quite right. And where you look like you have a slightly more real background than I do today. Where are you where are you joining us from? Yeah, I'm in Squamish, BC. Uh, we just had our first snow of the winter. So yeah. It's all kind of powdery and nice outside. Okay, so Jenny, uh, for people that don't know you, could you tell them uh, tell us a little bit about you and who you are and what you do? I don't know why I always find that the toughest question to answer, but um, yeah, I'm an adventurer and a writer and my bag is in um, typically long distance, human powered adventures, uh, usually in mountains, but really anything that's going. I recently completed a project to run solo and unsupported across a mountain range on every continent Wow! and gearing up for the season ahead, looking to do the same thing on a bicycle. So did you, you did that by foot the last five? Yes, oh, running, fast packing, yeah. Amazing. And you're doing, are you doing that next year then on bike? Yeah, it'll be so much easier. <laughs> I mean, on foot, I was like losing toenails and, you know, it was yeah. just, I mean, they haven't even grown back yet. But yeah, bikes, so much easier. What's the, yeah, what's the difference? Is it because you can kind of take a little bit more with you or just a bit easier on the legs? Or just what's the, what's the big difference? Cover more distance um, would just be mentally a lot easier. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, it is is definitely easier on the joints. Um, and also this time around, so I did that, the one on running I did solo, and that was a big component of it, was to do it solo and unsupported. Yeah. Um, but on the last one, which is in Transylvania a couple of months ago, I was chatting to the stray dog for a really long time. And um, I think the, the stray dog and I made a decision that the next time around I didn't need to do it solo, that I should probably take some pals along. <laughs> to me, so, that, so that's going to be a really big difference on this one. It's going to be more of a social project. So, so anyone listening about how they plan the next project, it's find a stray dog and use their guidance and advice. On, Dude, on I don't know do why next. we don't do more adventures with stray dogs. She was great. <laughs> the dog stayed with me for a day and a half. Great amazing. company. Guarded my bivy night. Like, it was amazing. Yeah, we oh, should all take stray dogs. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I think this is good advice. No one listened to me. I think no, I know. I mean, this is... Yeah, this is... <laughs> it's pure gold. I mean, you'll, I think you'll find, you know, more posts on Instagram of people talking to these strays of, you know, where do I go from here? And as they wander off to the next, you know, butcher or whatever it might be. 
Okay, so um, you've obviously achieved quite a lot from all of your running, trekking, cycling, skiing, paddling, I think, and everything else in between, maybe. Never going, yeah. Um, good. But we want to dive into some of your best bits. So sort of five of those moments where you've kind of felt most alive. So, you know, maybe it's the top of a mountain seeing a sunrise through the clouds or even when you're maybe at the bottom of the mountain and you've had the best meal that you've had in days because you can actually buy it from someone else and they can prepare it for you. Um, so looking at your top five, what would be number five as one of your one of your best moments? Um, I remember on my very first expedition, I ran across Kyrgyzstan. It was a thousand kilometers. Uh, it never been done before by anyone, which was really cool and exciting, but also left just so many blank unknowns because there's yeah. obviously no guidebook there's no trail there's like you know every day is um, me trying to figure out if this is going to go and about halfway through because it was quite late in the season that I did it um, and I was having a real problem with all the rivers being dried and I ended up doing about a marathon without a drop of water like every river that I came by was dry wow. dry dry wow. kept running out um, and so I felt like I couldn't stop because I can't like I needed water. I mean, all my food's dehydrated, so I'm not going to eat. Obviously, I really needed a drink. Like running a marathon at altitude without water is just not a nice thing to do to your body. Yeah. Um, so I was feeling quite screwed. Um, and the next river was a good seven kilometers away, and I figured, well, I'm just going to have to. I just have to keep going until I find a river. But there was a mountain pass in that seven kilometers, so I was like, "What wow. are you going to do?" So I climbed this huge mountain. It's good, like thousand meter climb. Yeah. Uh, and the sun set as I was getting to the top. And at this point, I'm like, my brain's kind of going to some fun places because, you know, run a marathon at altitude without any water or any food. Yeah. Um, and you're not very well. Um, but I remember it just being this beautiful sunset. Wow. And it was just kind of like as I hit the top of the pass and there's a sense of calm washed over me. That was like, I know I'm in a crisis position at the moment that I'm yeah. not in a, in a place that's healthy or safe. But there was just like, it was just like this blanket of calm that the mountain gave me that I just kind of knew things were going to be fine. And then I descended and it was completely dark, but there was just this beautiful starry sky. Amazing. And I was running along, just kind of having a sense of like, how strong am I that I'm able to handle this situation? I'm not freaking out. My body's still running. Everything's fine. Like you're fine. Um, and yeah, it was just that sense of being really alive that I, you know, I pushed my limits in every sense. And yeah, here I was still going. It was just this really, really cool. I mean, obviously I was a bit delusional to think that everything was good. <laughs> I felt cool in the moment. You felt good in the moment. But so, I mean, yeah, amazing. Like, what an experience. But then I guess crucially, when did you get some water and some, some food in? Not that night. A, I finally got to that river at like 2 a.m. And it was it was complete. It was bone dry. Uh, wow. So I pitched my tent on the river because I just couldn't do another step at that point. I was just so knackered. Yeah. Um. So I spent that night. I didn't sleep very well because I caught. I mean, have you ever been that thirsty that your throat is just yeah. scratching? It was horrible. Wow. Uh, but in the morning, because Chris and the other reason why I stopped was because once it was pitch dark and I just have an ultralight head torch. So, you know, there might yeah. be a river right over there and I just can't see it. Yeah. Um. So I decided to call it night. So I didn't, you know, become a hazard to myself. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, in the morning, I think after about an hour, I found a river and I remember sitting down in the middle of the river, splashing like a baby elephant, just like so excited to feel water <laughs> on my skin and, Super and drinking happy. unlimited quantities through my filter. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was it was a test of my limits that that night. Yeah. Amazing. What a moment. OK, so Kazakhstan is number five. What's number four? 
Uh, when I ran across Bolivia, which was my third expedition in the series, um, yeah. it was just really scary experience. I can't really explain how much of the fear was was real and outside and how much of the fear was just built up inside my mind. But um, yeah. fear was kind of my companion on that adventure. Uh, and I remember coming up to, it was a Halloween night. And of course I'm in Bolivia. So uh Dia del Santos, it's it's like a big thing. And I knew that it was going to be a big celebration. I was kind of warned that like, oh, you hear a lot of like guns firing and very oh, drunk wow. people. It's going to be a big night. Um, and that night, I actually found myself at the base of Vilimani, which is the biggest peak in okay. the Bolivian Andes. So it was like this beautiful mountain. And next to the trail were these old Incan ruins. And it's this really cool thing that I discovered a few times in the Bolivian Andes. I mean, if stuff like that was in the UK, it would have like a big plaque and it would be a big protected um, piece of heritage. There's just so many Incan ruins that are just kind of like there, just, you know, being swallowed again by nature and overgrown. And so I found these ruins and I was at the peak of this, or at the base of this amazing peak. And I just realized like, this is going to be the best campsite of my whole life. And so I picked some firewood and made myself feel really proud when I made fire with my hands. And um yeah, I set up my bivy underneath this beautiful mountain and just, it was the only night on that expedition, I think, that I didn't feel super scared. I mean, all the time, I just felt scared that something was going to happen, someone was going to get me or whatever it was, but was I it, know, was that it night fear... I had... Sorry, Jenny. Yeah, go ahead. Was it was it fear of people? That was your fear of what may happen? Was it, yeah, and I don't, I don't normally have that, but everywhere I went um, and told people in Bolivia what I was doing, they were like, you're going to get killed. It wasn't like, you're going to get robbed or there are nasty people around. It was straight up. You're going to get murdered. Everyone said that to me every single day. And it's not a pleasant thing to hear. (laughs) And you still went every day. And from everyone, (laughs) like it was unanimous. Like the police said that the locals said that everyone was like, wow, you're going that direction. You're going to get murdered. And it, yeah, it just really, really messed with me. I normally trust people, but that one was, it was quite wearing. But it kind of, yeah, it made itself kind of disappear sort of amongst all these ruins, imagine kind of all around you, were they? Yeah, just in that moment. Um, I think it was because the ruins, you know, I thought, you know, they've been there for so many generations. Yeah. And they just sat there and they just watched this beautiful mountain. And I wondered how many people had stumbled past them, how many people had slept on that patch grass that I was sleeping on. And I don't know, it was just, it was just this really peaceful moment. And then eventually, like, so one of the biggest problems with that expedition was the weather. Um, eventually a storm came back and put out my fire and I had to crawl under my bivy and nice (laughs) again, but, but just for that little moment, um, yeah, yeah, it was so beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful places. It'll go down in history. It's one of the best places I've camped for sure. Amazing. So even for that fleeting moment, there's this kind of still massive impact on you, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Okay. Number three. Number three, uh, I was recently in the Silk Road Mountain Race, which is a mountain bike race in Kyrgyzstan. Okay. Um, and that for me, going out, it was, you know, I was partly there to to race. So I really wanted to perform really well. But yeah. having been isolated for so long, it was also participating in a sporting event that other people were racing. And I was just so excited to see even people I hadn't met yet. I was just so excited to see them. Yeah. Um, and there was this one morning that I'm I'm just always going to remember um I was kind of surrounded by this pack of boys I was the lead woman so I was just kind of around these guys all the time and and really determined not to get dropped by them and not to Mm. hear you know not to fall behind um and I remember there was this really hard pass we had to hike up and all the 
it just snowed overnight. So the ground was completely saturated. So it was really hard going, like pushing your bike up this very steep, very muddy hill. And all the guys could do it. Cause I mean, of course, all of our bikes weigh the same amount, despite yeah, sure. the differences in our body sizes. And I just, I couldn't push it up. Um, so I had to carry the bike on my back. Wow. And I remember just like seeing the guys kind of pull away from me going up this pass. And I was like, no way. And picked up my bike and charged up the hill. Um, and then there was, I think, seven or eight of us and all racing against each other. So like normally you're alone. But yeah, there were seven or eight of us that stood at the top of this pass. That was a hike up and a hike down. It was just so hard that like there was no <laughs> so hardly a bike race. <laughs> yeah, it's just a survival race where you carry bikes with you. Um, but yeah, yeah, I remember all of us just having this lovely moment Um just sharing it together even though we knew we were in a race against each other there was just none of that energy with us at the top of this hill we were just all really just grateful for each other's company um and it was really special for me to share to have one of these beautiful more like I think it was 7 a.m or something like that have one of these beautiful mountain moments and get to share it with really cool people um and that was I think that's really important and that's something that I miss when I do solo adventures sometimes you see these beautiful things and you think I'll remember that forever, but I won't ever have anyone to talk to about it. Yeah. And a a picture obviously can capture part of it, but it's still not in the moment with someone else, is it? Yeah. Yeah. So it was a real shared moment and and that was quite nice for me. Amazing. How long was the race? Uh, It's 1800 kilometers. So you have 15 days to do it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's, it's really, it's the elevation is the one that gets you. It's, it's a very climbing race. It's very difficult. Lots of hiking. Well, how did you do? How did you do overall? Did you manage to stick with the guys for most of it? I did. Yeah, I had to actually. I I feel really bad about this, Um, but (laughs) basically because it's a single stage race, so you don't get you, you know, you can sleep on your own schedule. But if you sleep, people will pass you. So on the last night of the race, um, I decided to get these guys and not go to sleep that night. So I ended up doing like this 37 hour push to the finish where I didn't stop at all. Um, which was great. Um, and so I came in as first woman, which was, which was a really big honor for me. Um, but it meant that I arrived at the finish line and have bad hallucinations. (laughs) I've been going 37 hours and I was just like, I thought I was dead for a while. It was really, this is meant to be the find your live chat. This is the moment where I did find my life. I genuinely hallucinated that I was dead for like hours. It was really weird. How do you how do you bring yourself back round from that sleep? Well, that's the thing. How do you prove that you're alive? Like, how yeah. do you do it if there's no one around? And that was why I had this hallucination was that I hadn't seen another human for like twelve yeah. hours. That's incredible. So how do you do it if you can't ask anyone? Yeah. So I'm just like I remember it. I just remember being like, okay, I think I'm dead, but that doesn't make any sense. But actually, I can't prove myself wrong right now. Yeah. Um. But then finally, because I was coming into the finish, uh, the media crew showed up with their cameras. And okay. Like as soon as someone's got a camera on you, you snap back to it because you're like, <laughs> yeah. game, game face recording on. this. <laughs> and I'm definitely weird right now. So oh, just act normal. So I'm just like riding my bike, like act normal, Jennifer. Everything's fine. They've got the cameras on you. Act like a normal person. Amazing. <laughs> so did you did you say anything you didn't mean to say when they were recording you? Or were you I have no like, idea? I've not seen I'm gonna say footage. normal, Jenny, but <laughs> I've not seen the footage. I have no idea. I'm not, I'm not actually ask them or tell them what was going on because I'm a little bit scared <laughs> I, should, I should get in touch with filmmaker and be like is it fine yeah was it okay just leave that in the archive that's fine okay what about what about number two what's your second most alive moment uh number two I think we're gonna go back to another I mean me being out running on starry nights in the mountains is probably my favorite thing in the world so when I ran across the atlas mountains 
Um, I remember having this brilliant moment. Um, I was actually, I knew the sun was going to set and there was actually a jita that I could stay at, but there was something that called me to just keep going. So I should have like the sunset, I should have just gone to bed. Um, but I was just having this amazing run and the sunset was really beautiful. And I knew the next pass was just going to be a really nice, but like technically an easy pass. So I couldn't, Mm -hmm. so I probably wouldn't die in the dark. So I was like, I'll do it. Um, and so I just kept on running this night. Um, and I just remembered, I mean, if you've ever been to Morocco, the mm-hmm. stars that you get in the Atlas Mountains are some of the best starry skies mm-hmm. you'll ever see. And I was just so addicted to them. Wow. So that night I just kept running. And I just remember going over this pass and it's just the quiet and the stillness um, and these amazing glittery stars above that I just, again, it was like that connecting with my body that just I couldn't believe that I was strong enough to get to do this. And I've been yeah. running all day and I was still running at night. Um, but also just to have those moments and get to see the earth at these hours that you don't normally see it. I just, I mean, I'll, I'll remember that past for the rest of my life. It was just this beautiful, like so much gratitude. So, so beautiful. Um, it, it sounds kind of like you get, like when you kind of come into these moments, it's almost like a bit of a euphoric experience or something. You're almost out of body kind of seeing this thing that you wouldn't get you know if you're on your commute on the train to work or whatever like obviously that's that's some standard daily life but you kind of don't get that unless you push the boundaries a little bit maybe or or go a bit further than maybe you normally would is would that be fair yeah no you you said it perfectly and way better than I could say it I think that's something that I really have found through um because I would get asked all the time like the routes that you do and the stuff you do why would you Mm -hmm. not just walk it why would you not just do a pace where you can like you know enjoy it a bit more and chill out, you know, bike tours, bike tours, yeah. people are always like, why would you, why would you ride like that? Why don't you take a lawn chair and have days a nice or whatever? Yeah. And I, <laughs> I'm pushing myself, but that's something that I found in the whole pushing myself sphere is that I end up, yeah. Having these moments that I wouldn't have done if I was planning sensibly. Yeah. And then you just get, you don't always get rewarded. Sometimes it's hell, but you know, yeah, sometimes these beautiful rewards that um, yeah, you just wouldn't have had otherwise. Amazing. Okay, so on to number one. What's what's your numero uno? What's the sort of favorite moment? No death you know, in this one. All about being alive. <laughs> no death. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm actually going to go back to Bolivia because I was just mm-hmm. thinking because it's the only photo I've ever put up in my apartment. Okay. Yeah. Um, see it. So when I when I did my expedition across the Bolivian Andes, uh, it was just it was hard in every way. It wasn't just that fear that I talked about of people saying you're going to get murdered, but um, it's at high altitude. I actually got mm-hmm. diagnosed with HAPE, which is yeah. really bad altitude sickness. Um, yeah, yeah. There was really bad weather every single day. I had a couple of storms at least. And, you know, a thunderstorm at 5,000 meters altitude, it's, it's not a nice thing. Quite scary, um, I can imagine. Yeah. And just that feeling of isolation. And then even when I got to the Pueblos, because the weather had been so bad, um, vehicles weren't getting into the Pueblos. So they were like out of food. And if I needed help, I wouldn't have been able to get it. And there was just always this realization that things went wrong um you know I've got my little GPS thing that I can push this SOS button and this is realization that the button isn't going to go anywhere no one's coming to help you you're not oh, in wow. a you're not in a hospitable place um so there was always there was just a lot going on yeah. uh, but that photo is actually the very last night of the expedition it was the only sunset where there wasn't an active thunderstorm hitting me wow. so it was the only time I saw the sky it was the only yeah. sunset I got the entire 17 day expedition in 17 um, days 17 days wow. and just being wet the whole time and kind yeah. of scared and miserable and slowly dying of hate. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. I said no death. No Sorry. death. No death. No death. 
so yeah, I got this beautiful sunset and it was just like this little gift from the Andes that were like, sorry, that was hard gringa, but look, you made it. Um, and yeah, that, I know it's not even a good photo, but every time I look at it, I'm like, yeah, that I remember watching that sunset and you know, I worked for that sunset. I worked hard for that sunset. <laughs> yeah, that was. Well, that's, that, it might, yeah, it must bring back a lot of sort of feelings every time you look at it. I can kind of see it in your face when you get animated, even just looking at it. It's quite incredible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, it's something that I wouldn't have gotten unless I had yeah. gone way outside my comfort zone and worked really hard for it. You know. Yeah, so that of was it was a good one. Amazing. Okay, so when you typically on the sort of fast packing type trips, you obviously kit at a minimum. But is there something, I mean, there's maybe two parts to this. One, a piece of clothing that you kind of wouldn't, you know, leave home without. Like, what do you, what do you take with you on these journeys? Yeah, it is, it is really minimal. And that's where, you know, the better kit that you have, the more minimal you can go. Because if you only have a few items, you're so dependent on those items. Um, so I always say to people, if you're going to invest in one thing, it's your, it's your jacket, your, like your mm-hmm. waterproof jacket, especially you know, if you get wet, I mean, especially like talking about that one where I had storms just constantly hitting me, yeah. you know, if your base layers get wet, they're going to stay wet. And there's, there's no coming back from that if you can't dry out. So um, I think on that one, my Gore-Tex jacket was like everything to me. I mean, if I hadn't had it on yeah. most of the time, that could have get, it could have genuinely got dangerous out there. Yeah. So you're a lot Change more comfortable. Yeah. If you're going to invest in one piece, get the jacket right. That's what yeah. I always say. No, good shout. Okay. And then what about a lot of people take kind of good luck charms with them and, and all that kind of stuff? Is there something that you sort of pack? It's probably quite small, but is there something that you sort of take with you on those trips? I don't, to be honest. Um, there's just no space, but yeah. I've got a real thing for toques, which is the Canadian word for a, a beanie or a bobble hat. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's just something like when you put on a toque, it's just so cozy. It's like a little hug and the pom-pom. I know it's like superfluous yeah. <laughs> um, space that the pom-pom's taking up, but you got to have the pom-pom. That's everything. Yeah. So yeah, my puke is probably my desert island item. <laughs> Brilliant. I was just looking for mine. I had it on today. Not quite as cold as where you are, but it's definitely cooler here. Um, okay. Yeah. And um, we have uh, one, uh, maybe a couple more minutes, but Anna McNuff um, very kindly introduced me to your book, Tough Women or Tough Women ah. Adventure Stories, I think it's called. Um, and this is kind of, it's not just your writing, is it? It's kind of like a curated collection of, of lots of amazing women that have, that have done all sorts of stuff, I think, haven't they? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, just tell us a little bit about the book for those that don't know. Yeah, it's an anthology, so I, I didn't write it at all, which is amazing. Um, nice. But it's all types of different women, and it's just, it's basically just an anthology of adventure stories, and mm-hmm. just so happens that all the authors are female. Um, a big part of my motivation behind that was, um, I've been finding as my adventure career has grown, I get asked all the time, why aren't there more women or what can we do to get more women in the outdoors industry? And I, I couldn't really handle the question because having worked in this industry for a number of years now, I work with women all the time. They're everywhere. Yeah. You know, I think we are a very diverse, at least gender wise industry, but when it comes to that top level of what people see of adventure, like specifically TV, mm-hmm. um, you just see one demographic. And mm-hmm. that means one type of narration, one type of storyteller, this, you know, conquering chest beating, um, which just isn't my, from the inside of the adventure world, it's not mm-hmm. actually what the adventure world is like at all, but that's just the portrayal that we get. So um big part of my motivation was to give a platform to some of the women that are in this industry. So next time someone asks me why are there more women, I can be like, here's my book 
There's yeah. a bunch of women that are really cool. And all the women in there are actually employed in the outdoor industry in various different ways. You know, we've got yeah. holding athletes and we've got photographers and we've got yeah. writers and we've got, you know, the whole gamut of, of really cool women. Yeah. Ages, different abilities, just all different storytellers. And, and that's kind of the point is that if we have more diversity, we have different types of stories. Yeah. Um, and we have different types of stories, then everyone can kind of identify because I sure don't identify with like the Bear Girls SAS kind of thing. I of look course. at that and I think, oh, maybe adventure isn't for me because I don't want to do any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah it's like I haven't got a six pack or something like that as well, perhaps, right? Yeah. And I would never like eat a live snake that I found on the ground, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you have to have a diversity of stories so that people can identify and start to see themselves in the outdoors and, and come join us. Cause there's a space for everyone. It's such a, yeah. such a diverse industry. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. You just got to, the media just needs to show that a little bit better. Yeah. You just, you've just got to go. I think, you know, really interestingly, and this, this isn't about me at all, but I was on a, a race on the weekend with my um, baby girl. We do a lot of buggy running together and it was quite Whoa. muddy and slippy and all this kind of stuff. As someone who passed me sort of said, you know, um, I'll say it politely, but should you be here type of thing? And I'm kind of like, look, I'm perfectly Aww. capable. She's perfectly capable. She's totally wrapped up in all, you know, for the elements. Yeah. Like, oh, but like we do this stuff every day. It's not a kind of, you know, oh, just go audio. and see if we can go and do that sort of thing. And it's like, I think it's, and that's, you know, I, I experience that more when I'm out with her, interestingly, compared to when I'm out with the boys. Um, and it's kind of, I don't, I don't know if that's intentional or subliminal, or mm-hmm. maybe I'm more aware of it because I'm sort of conscious of, I want to make sure she has the same opportunities as the boys, but it's kind of, yeah, I, I see it a little bit, a little bit when I'm out with her. It's quite, it's quite interesting. Yeah. And it, it fascinates me. I mean, I remember when I was, when I was young, um, I kind of had Still this idea young, that once I grew up and I was a full adult and I'd completed some good stuff that yeah. no one would say these kind of things to me, like still to this day. I mean, if I'm hiking in Scotland where I have lived for 10 years, I mean, I'm almost always wearing shorts because it's always shorts weather for me. Yeah. Um, and people will always make comments and I always have a light backpack because I have really good kit that fits in a small backpack. Yeah. Yeah. And people always make comments to me about like, girl, do you really know how big the mountain is and stuff like that? Oh, really? Um, so people will say things to me because obviously if I walk into an outdoor shop or something, it's not like they know what I do. But it, anyways, I had this fantasy that once I was old enough and once I completed some expeditions, no one would treat me that way. Yeah. And you know what? I've like on paper, I think I'm pretty good. You know, I've, I have completed some world first expeditions. I've won adventure races. I'm, yeah. I'm over the age of 30. Like I'm an adult, but people still treat me this way. And that's been kind of the most mind blowing thing to me is this assumption that I'm a beginner um and that I don't really know what I'm doing and that I need advice and I need help and and that's just how we treat women and and the more I've talked about it and been kind of open about my experience the more women of every age range and ability range have been like yeah that's that's the kind of stuff that people say to us and I think people are generally not always but generally well-meaning with it like Mm -hmm. they don't want us to get hurt but yeah that's the way that it comes off is this isn't for you sweetheart and you know and we, I think you've just got to watch the way that you approach people. You know, if you see beginners in the outdoors, of course you want to help them. You want them to have a good experience. You want them to stay in our sphere. Yeah. You know, if more people went hiking, the world would be a better place. We want to encourage them. Yeah. But um, yeah, the, the way well, that we have those conversations. I mean, that's hopefully what things like your book and hopefully more conversations like this. And, you know, you're seeing more sort of short movies and things like that online. So hopefully with with more of that content becoming more accessible, you know, and obviously in time yeah. that will change or the perspective will change, hopefully. 
Yeah. And I'm seeing it change and, and I'm really loving it. And social media has, you know, is always kind of vilified, but actually there's a lot to thank it for that. It's just given a platform to lots of different types of people. Mm-hmm. And, and that's amazing. And, you know, if we just keep on going that direction and accepting that everyone is an outdoors person. There isn't a type. Every yeah. person is an outdoors person. Anyone can walk out their front door and go outside. Like, so everyone is qualified yeah. and that's all we need to know. Excellent, excellent point to end on, I think, Jenny. Um, well, Jenny, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope we get to sort of chat more and keep up to date with, with the rest of your travels and adventures. Yeah, man. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Jenny Tuff. If you want to find out more about Jenny and what she's up to, you can have a look at her website, jennytuff.com. Or if you want to find out more about what's keeping her warm, dry and mobile on her adventures, head over to montaigne.com. We've also got the book that Jenny helped to curate called The Tough Women Adventure Stories, available on our website at shop.outsideandactive.com forward slash books. It really is an awesome book celebrating women in adventure. Until next time, enjoy the outside.